Hey there, I'm excited to bring my friend Adam Cuello on the show today. Adam is a seasoned professional within Google, but he's also the host of the Mindful Fire podcast, where he lives at a unique intersection, mindfulness and fire, fire being the financial independence retire early movement. Here's what you're going to get from our conversation. Number one is how to edit the storylines in our heads to change our reality. Number two, where people go wrong in the fire movement. And number three, how to make your job optional way faster than everyone else out there. Adam's journey is a fascinating one. It's got this blend of spirituality and very big practicality as far as what he's doing and helping people. It's a unique blend and I really want to bring this message and this philosophy out to more people. And I know it's going to leave an imprint on you while giving you actionable takeaways. Let's dive in. Growing up, society taught you to follow the script by choosing a career path and climbing the ladder. But for many people, this promise falls flat. Work suffocates them and life becomes painful. Here, you're trapped in what I call the corporate cage. Fortunately, there's a way out. You can take control of your corporate job and unlock a life of freedom. I call this living uncaged. Hi, this is your host, Matt Doan. I'm a coach, creator, and entrepreneur. Uncaging people is my mission because it's been my exact life journey. This show provides you the stories, principles, and tactics to make it happen. Welcome to Uncage Yourself. Adam, so glad to have you here, man. I'm thrilled to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. Lots to pick apart here. You have a very specific worldview and skill set that this world needs to hear, this audience with Uncage Yourself. So let's be very clear. You are the host of a great podcast, which I've fallen in love with, which is the Mindful Fire podcast. Mindfulness plus the financial independence retire early concept merged into one podcast, one mission. Break that apart for us. Why mindfulness? Why fire? And why that intersection? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And for a while, I didn't really know if those things actually made sense together. I felt like maybe I was just putting them together. But, you know, ultimately what the podcast is about is crafting a life you love and making work optional using mindfulness, envisioning, and financial independence, right? Some people, you know, talk about the FIRE mo movement and they people are put off by the idea of retiring early, right? They're like, people always say to me, oh, I could never just retire and sit around and do nothing. Nobody said you need to. Nobody told you to do that, right? It's about figuring out what you really want and crafting a life that you love. And then financial independence makes it so that work can become optional. You can continue working if you love what you do. You can take a lower paying job that is more aligned with your values and purpose. Or you can embark on an entrepreneurial career, which is what I want to do. And so really when I think about you know, mindfulness, I think it's simply having a, a kind, curious awareness towards yourself and whatever's happening in your head, in your body, in your external environment, just this bringing a kind, curious awareness. And then 
financial independence retire early is all about this idea that you can make work optional by getting clear on how much your life costs and there's this this rule called the 4% rule where it's basically work becomes optional when you have 25 times or when you have 25 times your annual expenses right so if you need $100,000 a year to live on if you save up 2.5 million and it's invested in growing you can withdraw 4% of that and you can live on that to cover your annual expenses and then working is completely optional because you never need to make another dollar again to cover your living expenses so when i created this podcast i, I those were my two passions right i i we can talk more about how i got into mindfulness through my career at Google, but I, I really, it, it changed my life, right? It allowed me to see the stories that I was telling myself that I was completely unaware of, uh, the negative self-talk, the inner critic, as it sometimes is called, going in my head all the time. I was completely unaware of that for the first 26 years of my life. And once I had that awareness, it really, it, it allowed me to excel more at work, to be just lighter and happier and then once i figured once i learned about financial independence it helped me realize that like it's not an infinite amount of money that i need or five million or ten million dollars like i thought is it even possible it it showed me that it is possible and when i brought these two things together really the intersection point is awareness and choice in both instances, you have to have awareness, right? You need to be aware of what's going on in your mind, in your body, in your environment with a kind, curious awareness, right? Not resisting what's happening, but seeing it clearly. And the same thing is true in your finances, right? If you don't know how much your life is costing, if you don't know how much money you're spending or how much money you have, or worse, how much debt you have, then you don't have any agency, right? Because you, you, the first thing is awareness. And so when you have awareness, then you, the more awareness you have, the more choice and options that you can create in your life. And that's how I brought these two things together. And, and it, it's had a huge impact in my life. And I hear from people all the time on how it really is changing how they think about money and the life that they want to live. Hmm. I, I love creative intersections of seemingly very different topics like you don't see this intersection right the more spiritual internal practice of mindfulness compared with the objective like let's create money in the bank to fuel specific things of our life like that's a very internal versus external thing that you've brought together and it's i love how it makes people think and it's going to repel the wrong people and attract the right people. I love that you've created those conditions, awareness and choice that those two terms coming together, I think are so important for this audience. And obviously the one that, that you speak to every day, Adam, when we think about awareness, like what am I experiencing? What is going through my mind? What emotions are coursing through my body? <laughs> like just being aware, seeing them, acknowledging them, putting labels to them, right? Is so important because then you can more objectively say, what choices do I have? Do I have to just let this stuff swarm me? So like in a corporate world, like a lot of people that I work with, right? They're just, they, they think things are happening to them in the world and they slow down and be like, actually, these are all other people's problems and doings. I have choice in how I show up and how I interact with them. 
Therefore, I can change my own reality at work. I can choose for it to feel much better than it is because I've developed this awareness. And that's why I love mindfulness as a practice uh, to make that real for people. I'm curious, this the mindfulness versus meditation labels, how would you uh, reconcile that for people? Because they're very overlapping terms, but give us some clarity there, please. Yeah, that's a great question and one that comes up quite a bit. And so the way I would say the difference is, I mean, they're clearly related, right? But mindfulness is a capacity that we all have to some degree to pay attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. That's a definition that comes from John Kabat-Zinn, who popularized mindfulness in the West. And you know, so again, it's paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. I summarize that as bringing a kind, curious awareness to whatever's happening, right? So it's a capacity that we have and we can train. Now, meditation is simply mental training, right? It's like exercise for your brain. And mindfulness meditation trains the capacity to be mindful. There are others like for instance, meta or love and kindness meditation that train our capacity to be compassionate. So there are all, it's just like there are many types of exercise that train different parts of our body. There are different types of meditation that train different faculties of our mind. And so we use meditation to train our brain and our nervous system and our body to kind of navigate the world, the ups and downs of life with more skill and more ease. So Adam, if we could, I'd love if you could bring together your love of what you just described there with mindfulness and fire, but give us some context with your life journey, maybe a little bit on your upbringing and particularly your time at Google. It's been over a dozen years at this point. Kind of zoom in on that and what your experience has been there, please. Yeah, it's unfortunate to say, but a lot of these things that I'm now talking about and now teaching to others, I had to learn the hard way. And essentially the situation was that I came within 30 days of losing my job at Google because of the story that I was telling myself. And so now, as I say to anyone who will listen, our stories create our reality. Because of how our brain works, our stories very much create our reality. So the stories that we're telling ourselves are the stories that we're acting out in our lives. And so I'm happy to go into that. But before I get into how I inadvertently envisioned myself out of a job at my dream company, Google, I will let me share a little bit about how our brain works and why our stories create our reality. So there are two things I want you to know about your brain. The first is this idea, this phenomenon of neuroplasticity. It used to be thought that our brains were fixed after a certain age, around 20 or so. But now we know that throughout our life, our brain is growing and evolving based on what we pay attention to. So every so neuroplasticity is everything we think, feel, and pay attention to changes the structure and function of our brain. It's sometimes thought of as neurons that neurons that fire together, wire together. And so if you think of anything you've ever learned, any skill you've ever developed, say playing the guitar. At first, it's completely unnatural. Holding the guitar feels weird. The strings, the finger movements 
uh, unnatural, even the sounds, and certainly you can't read music, right? But as you practice that more and more, those things become easier. And that's because the neural networks in your brain are associated with those skills are becoming well-worn paths. So number one, your brain is changing based on what you pay attention to. Number two is that our brains are predictive by nature. And so a researcher named Regina Polly at UC Riverside did a study and published an article called The Predicting Brain. In it, she said that even before events happen, our brain makes a prediction of what's most likely to happen and sets in motion the thoughts, perceptions, emotions, and even physiological responses for what's expected. She goes on to say, in a sense, we learn from the past what to predict for the future, and then we live the future we expect. And so the way I think about this is we're telling ourselves stories about how our life is going to be, and then we're acting out those stories. And so uh, the way that I like to teach this to people is that everything we think, feel, or pay attention to, or the story that we... I'm going to edit that. We'll edit that part out. So the way I like to teach this to people and think about it in my own life is that what we pay attention to and the stories that we tell ourselves are like seeds that we're planting and watering in our mind. The seeds that we water and tend to the most by paying attention to those stories are the ones that are going to grow and that we're going to see out in our experience. And so this is something that I learned the hard way when I envisioned myself out of a job. So about seven years ago or so, I was in this job at Google uh, about five or so years into my career, and I got this opportunity that I had wanted so desperately that I envisioned myself into. And it was on an experimental team where we were teaching user experience to online publishers who made money with ads. And my job was to kind of craft the strategy and do this whole thing, and I was it was my dream job. Around the same time, I was also pursuing my lifelong dream of building my own business, being an entrepreneur. And I was in this online program called The Foundation, where I was built, the goal was to build a SaaS company in six months. And I had this mindset that this is it. This is my opportunity. If I'm going to be successful, I need to do this and quit Google. Success equals quitting Google. And I took it a step further. I told anyone who would listen, if I get promoted at Google again, it means I failed. And so it's obvious now that this is a ridiculous thing to say and not very useful at all. But this is the, the belief that I had. And so not surprisingly, nine months into this job, that again, should have been my dream job. I had been wanting this to happen for years. I get called into my boss's office and he says, Adam, we're eliminating the team. Your job's been eliminated and you have a few months to find a new job or leave Google. And despite many interviews internally, externally, great conversations, I got to 30 days before the deadline with a total of zero job offers. That's when I started freaking out even more. <laughs> I was already freaking out, but I really started freaking out. And I remember this moment where I was in San Francisco, in one of my favorite places, Golden Gate Park, and I was sitting there and I was meditating on like a tree stump and I realized what I've been doing is not working, right? My mindset that I'm bringing to this job search 
is not working. Something needs to change. At this point, I didn't even realize that I had done this to myself. But I realized that if I was going to survive this 30 days, I needed a new mindset. And so that's when I remembered learning this envisioning concept in a program at Google called Search Inside Yourself, which I now facilitate. And it's an emotional intelligence course that teaches emotional intelligence through mindfulness. And I remember learning this idea of envisioning. And it was all about thinking big about what you actually want and getting clear on what that ideal situation would look like. And so actually asking yourself, what do you want this to look like? And so I got really clear. I was like, all right, I want to have a job I love with working with people I respect and admire. And that gives me the financial resources to continue to grow my life and and yeah, it's pretty simple, right? That's what I wanted. And then I remembered this affirmations practice that I had also learned. And I started practicing it. So I'd meditate and then I would practice the mindsets and the beliefs that would support me in moving towards my vision on this job search. So I would say the, the belief that I wanted to have is the world is abundant with opportunity. And because that's what I wanted to see. I need a job offer. I need job opportunities, right? So I wanted to see that. And I would say that out loud and I would visualize in my mind times when that was true in the past. And then I would say it again and I'd visualize how is that true right now in the present? And then I would fast forward visualizing in my mind, how will this be true in the future? I would see people telling me that they're I would see that people would come to me and tell me about job opportunities on their team or at their company or you should talk to this person. And amazing things started to happen. I started to get see opportunity everywhere, right? I started to hear from friends that you should go talk to this company. I know this person. And I at the same time, I also told myself a belief. I don't worry about doing things right or wrong. I just take action, which leads to learning, progress, and growth. Again, visualize in the past the present, and the future. And when this opportunity came up to interview, uh, to a friend recommended I talk to this company in the user experience space, I said, oh, let me me see, let me go on LinkedIn. I saw that I was connected with the CEO through the CEO of a publisher I had worked with in my first job. And I was like, well, I don't worry about doing things right or wrong. Let me just ask for an introduction. So he introduces, I ask him, he introduces me to the CEO now meeting one-on-one with the CEO, he introduced me to the COO, and next thing you know, they're recommending to the hiring manager that they interview and hire me. And long story short, I ended this 30 days with not one, but two job offers, one internal at Google, one external at Google, and I chose to stay at Google, uh, and my career has, has blossomed since then, and I've really use this envisioning, you know, looking back a little bit after that situation, I realized, wow, like envisioning not only got me into this mess, which is a big lesson, but it also got me out of this mess. And I kind of realized the power that our minds have to create the future we want. And I've just kept doing that since. I mean, I, I've gotten promoted twice since then using envisioning. I became a facilitator for this program, Search Inside Yourself. I've just developed my own programs, which I've taught inside at Google and outside as well. Um, and the podcast, all these things are a result of this rock bottom moment. And just 
realizing how powerful our minds really are. Such an amazing story there. Just when, when I think about using the word envisioning, you said it both created the downfall and it created your rise back to a better state. And I just want to bring this home with you, which is some people will think about envisioning, visualization, whatever term you want to use here as being too woo-woo, not tangible enough. And a lot of people that might listen to this are very uh, like logical. They want to see the analytical, the evidence, the proof, right? The scientific reasoning with all of this. But if you really think it through, right, your mind is telling you a story. Your mind, when you implant these thoughts, going to back to like um, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, this, the cycle is thoughts, feelings, actions, thoughts, feelings, actions. So you're implanting, you're envisioning new thoughts of you having a job like this, a situation like that. You're going to feel good, inspired, and you'll be in a state then to take the right actions, like reaching out to that first degree CEO that connected you to that other first degree CEO. But if you told yourself a terrible story, like stuff's not working out for me, like I'll never get where I want to be, you would not be in any state to take any such action and you'd be in a much worse place. Is, am I reading that correctly? You would get exactly what you asked for, right? And that's what happened, right? Like I told myself success equals quitting Google. And guess what I got? I, my job was eliminated, right? They did it for me, right? And so when I turned this around and I started putting this, I guess I should say we are, envision, we are envisioning, we are telling ourselves stories all the time, whether we're aware of it or not. Mindfulness allows you to become aware of it. And envisioning allows you to choose a new story that you can then practice by planting seeds in your mind, which primes your mind to see what you're planting, right? I think I, I heard in, in the book, um, I'm reading a lot of Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy books right now, and like 10x is easier than 2x. And, they, and also the gap in the gain. In both of these books, they said, your mind can only, or your eyes can only see and your ears can only hear what your brain is ready to see, something like that. You're, you know, so that's exactly what we're talking about right here. It's like, it's not magic that these opportunities started coming my way, right? It's me priming my mind, making it ready to see things out in the environment, right? I always use the example of, say you get a new car, right? When I got a Subaru Forester, suddenly there were Subaru Foresters everywhere, right? When my wife was pregnant, suddenly there were pregnant women everywhere, right? It's not like there are just suddenly more Subaru Foresters and pregnant women. I'm just more ready to see that. And so that's what envisioning allows us to do is it allows us to prime our mind to be ready to see what we want. Hey, Matt here with a quick message. If you've got an impressive job on paper, but it's making you miserable, listen up. I want to teach you to leverage your corporate career for entrepreneurial freedom. Create a new life chapter by rapidly improving your income, time, and happiness. All in service of a life that'll make your future self and your family proud. So head on over to uncagedworkshop.com. There you'll find a short video training on exactly how to do this. You won't be sorry. That's uncagedworkshop.com. All right, back to the show. Yeah, that's super powerful. 
one related thing you talked about abundance this i want to make this more real for people too i know where you're going with this and i've been thinking about abundance for a long time but when when people hear that you hear like you see like the nice instagram post of life is abundant think in abundance versus scarcity right how can someone who's a doubter in in an abundant world actually go from a mode of scarcity where stuff is hard money's hard to come by jobs are hard to get by to come by to a state of there's more money there's more jobs there's more opportunity than i could ever hope for how do you close that gap from going from scarcity to abundance in a tactical way yeah yeah and it you know gets back to your question around you know the it, sometimes it seems very woo woo right like that's why i don't talk about manifesting right like I have no problem. How, however, people want to talk about this prayer, manifesting, whatever it is, it's all effectively doing the same thing because you are planting those seeds in your mind. That's why I start with the neuroscience. Right. And so getting back to your question about abundance, I, I personally am working on this all the time. Right. I tend to unfortunately look at things from a, a scarcity mindset. Right. Like save as much money as I can. Don't spend money on anything like I, it's a real struggle for me to invest in myself. Um, and it's something that I'm working on. And the way that I work on it is that affirmations practice I was mentioning before is was super powerful for me to to start to see more abundance because of priming my mind. And the way I think about that practice is that. I am providing evidence to my brain, to my cog my conscious brain and my subconscious brain that this is already true, right? I'm showing it evidence in the past of how it was actually true. I'm not making that up, right? I'm sure no matter what it is, we've all had experiences where things were abundant, right? Where you found 20 bucks on the floor, right? Like that's a, a perfect example you can use. Um, and then how is it true in the present? Also, again, evidence of it right now. And then fast forwarding, you know, planting seeds of how you will see it in the future. Um, you know, those things haven't happened yet, but because you have this evidence and also your brain doesn't really know if it's true or not, right? If you're, put, if you're putting the spotlight of your attention on something, it's as real in your mind as it could ever be. So that's the way I think about it. It's just really planting those seeds for of abundance right you don't have to you know make a vision board and put a yacht on there and because it, it's not all about money right it's you and i have talked about this before it's not just money it's freedom of relationship it's freedom of purpose right all of these things are ways that abundance shows up in our lives and so you can really decide how you want to take that and just give your brain that evidence yeah it, it makes me think a lot of the people that I come in contact with, so say they're trapped in corporate hell and they want something different and something like entrepreneurship looks appealing to them. What's the first thing they want to talk about? How to build a business. Like how, what are the mechanics? Like I need delivery. I need marketing. I need operations. Hold your horses. Like mm -hmm. we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. But when I invite them in, the real work we always start with has to be on that inner side, understanding, doing the envisioning, having contrast between what I no longer want and getting 
hyper clear and excited about what I do want and set in, in my mind, like until you make that commitment psychologically, say like, this is the life I want. Here's what excites me. Here's what's pulling me forward through envisioning. No progress happens until your mental state wants that deeply. It sees it and, and is programmed to choose it every single day. Then we ha have earned the right to do some of the more practical things. Like let's make sure that the, the corporate job isn't destroying our day. We're not in too many meetings. We're not getting overrun. Let's then talk about like, how do you build a business? You have to be able to get your inner state committed to that vision before any of that will work. Like it just makes sense. Like you have to know where you're going in a sense and at least directionally for that stuff to stick. Absolutely. I mean, that's why, you know, when I, the first question that I ask people when I work with them is, what do you truly want? You know, and I, you know, my podcast is all about financial independence, retire early. Right. And honestly, I, I don't love the retire early part. So I like to rebrand it as financial independence, reprioritize early. Right. But the, one of the first questions I, I talk, I ask people is like, what do you actually want? Because so many people in this fire movement are just racing towards their financial independence number number they're racing towards their financial independence number. Again, 25 times our annual expenses. Super helpful. Makes it, attain, it feel more attainable. But they don't ask, what do I want on the other side of that? Right? So they either just keep working once they get there or they leave and then get depressed and feel miserable and make people around them miserable. Right? And there's nothing worse than hitting your goal and realizing, like, I don't even know why I did this, right? And so the first question you need to ask yourself is, what do I actually want? What do I want my life to look like? What do I want to create with this limited time I have on this earth? And you don't have to have it all figured out, right? Like, when I, I, I right now, I'm put, I've put together an eight-week coaching program, and the whole question is, like, how do you answer that question and start taking steps to live the life that you want to live right now, right? That's the beautiful thing about financial independence and envisioning and all these things is that you can start doing it right away, little by little. And the secret is you're probably already doing it in, in some ways already. You're just not paying attention. I'll give you an example that from my life, I call this the if only mindset and even knowing this, I still do this. If only I could retire early, then I could be happy. If only I could be an entrepreneur. If only I could teach mindfulness and get paid for it, then I'll be happy, right? And I'm sure anyone listening to this has their own if onlys. But the antidote to that is how is this already true in my life right now? The more that I realize like it's just a slight shift in attention in awareness okay what did I say if only I could be financially independent well I've been saving money for a long time I have a good deal of financial independence I may not be at my number but I certainly have more options than I did before more awareness more choice uh, I am an entrepreneur I teach mindfulness and get paid for it at Google right it's not my full-time job but I get paid a lot more than I would be getting paid if I was a full-time mindfulness teacher. So I have that too, right? It's just over and over again, all these things I say I need to be happy, 
I actually already have. And so that, when I can start shifting into that gratitude, I then attract more of those things to me. And when I say attract, I don't mean like through a mystical means. I mean like my brain is ready to see it because I'm planting and reinforcing the seeds or planting and watering the seeds that I already have that thing I say I want. Totally get where you're going. And that question of what do I want at the surface level feels so simple. It's so consequential, but it's actually really hard to get to that state. Um, there's a French philosopher, René Girard, who came up with the theory of mimetic desire, which basically says the people you hang around, you're going to want what they want. Mm -hmm. You're just absorbing their wants. So if you hang around a bunch of hard charging corporate executives that just want the C-suite, you're going to want that. And you're going to take corresponding action. If you're around uh, people that are just thriving at home and want to be amazing parents and focus there, maybe you want more children. Maybe you want to prioritize that. And mimetic desire basically says like your environment is influencing you in subtle ways that you don't understand. And, and it just makes me think about like, how do we separate from that conditioning? How do we genuine, how do we know what we genuinely want? That, that is really hard. Uh, how would you even approach that? That's where I think mindfulness comes in, right? You have, you know, uh, another metaphor that I find helpful when that when I was taught m mindfulness and when I teach mindfulness to Google uh, and when I teach mindfulness and envisioning at Google, you know, I've taught 2,500 Googlers around the world through Search Inside Yourself, my own workshops. This thing that I found very helpful is that often our minds are most of the time, our minds are like a snow globe that's being shaken up and agitated, right? It's very busy, obscure. You can't really see what's going on. Practicing mindfulness is like setting the snow globe down on the table, allowing the snow to settle so you can see more clearly what's inside. And I really believe that you need to get quiet. You need to allow your mind to settle, right? You're not going to, you're not able to turn off the thoughts, right? That's not possible, but you can create some space by getting quiet, sitting, focusing on your breath. And then you're going to start to see the things that come up to the surface again and again and again. And you're going to learn how to relate with them in a different way. I think that I didn't mention this earlier, but one of the, there are kind of two parts to mindfulness. There's the awareness piece and then there's, the kind, curious attention, uh, the kind, curious attitude, right? There's a level of self-compassion that's inherent in this practice that I think most people miss and that I missed for years, right? I was so focused on just training my attention on the breath, come back, come back, come back. But the more I can just be like, huh, there's that story again. There's that belief. There's that desire. There's that thing I want, right? And the more that you allow yourself to be quiet, be quiet, set, allow the snow to settle so you can see more clearly what's going on inside, you just start to get hints at that. And then I would add also another mindfulness practice, which I know you're a big fan of, journaling, right? Just brain dumping what's in your head onto paper. It make, it's One, it makes you feel lighter, Two, it also makes it 
more tangible and easier to work with, right? If you ever try to like figure something out just in your head, it's like, it's like grasping at clouds. It's very hard to do, but when you get it out of your head onto paper, you can then start to work with it. And I think bringing kind, curious awareness to all of those things is going to help you get clear on what you want. It really comes down to those repeated practices, habits, rituals, routines, whatever you want to term it, you have to create discipline around this in order to access that clear thinking and then therefore the right actions. I'm thinking about more the people that are listening right now and and other ways that they could apply the mindfulness, the elements that are so vital that you're talking about, Adam. Many of them you know, they're further along in their career, further along in their life, and they have kids, maybe they're like five, 10, even 15. And when they're giving so much to the job, and they know inside they're sacrificing their home life, they're sacrificing the relationships with their kids. I heard this great term the other day, the idea of we only have 18 summers, 18 summers before most of the quality time we'll ever have with them is gone. That makes me tearful even to think about it. But when you think about you're the hard charging person in a great job, but you know inside that you're not being the person you want to for your loved ones, especially your kids. How can we direct all that you're talking about so that we can be there for them, even though we have a daunting career? Yeah, I I think one of the, sorry, I'm going to start again. One of the things I didn't mention before in, in the question about like, how do you ask yourself, what do you really want? I think that the reason that people don't often ask that question or really think big about that question is because of all of the constraints that we have on our life and what we think is possible and reasonable and rational, right? And if you're have been successful in a career and you've gotten yourself you know, promotions and financial success and reputational success and all these things, you have kind of, you call it a cage, right? Like, and it kind of is a cage. It might be a beautiful cage, but it's still a cage, right? And that's, that's made up of all these constraints and limitations. And so when I, when I teach people to do this, whether it be in a workshop or in one-on-one coaching, I ask them to set aside all of those limitations, just for a moment, they'll be there when you get back. Sometimes people are afraid to do this. Just set them aside. Everything that's reasonable or rational, rational or realistic, just everything aside. Now, thinking five years out, what do you want your life to look like if everything goes better than expected? Beyond your wildest dreams, right? And and I had someone on the podcast recently that said why don't you consider a few different life options, right? Because it's very hard for people to to do this. And so you need to kind of come from it with a, just a sense of curiosity, exploration, and unlimited possibility. And you can do it again and again and again. And it's not like this is set in stone. So the more that you can play with it and think really, really big, right? Like what if none of this, what if my job didn't exist? What if... You know, you know, you probably wouldn't want to do this, but like, what if my family life was not what it is, right? What would I be doing, right? And you don't, it feels weird to even say that, like even for me right now, it feels weird to say that, 
But like, it doesn't mean that you have to do it, but you can consider what that is and you might get insights that you could then apply in your life. To your point about the 18 summers, that's a really poignant and important question or realization. It's like, you only have these 18 summers as you're saying. And I'm like, I've already missed, this is my fourth or fifth one with my older son. And that means there's only 13 or 14 left. Right. And then, yeah, like you said, like that's like 90% of the time I'll ever spend with him these 18 years. And so I think it makes a ton of sense to think, all right, let me just set everything aside. And what if, if I could have anything, regardless of money, regardless of commitments, what would it be? And that is a great place to start and tap into. And that's what I, I invite people to do. And I actually created a, 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 a free guide for your audience that they can go and do this them, themselves, go through this understanding what we're talking about here and, and kind of ask themselves this question through a journaling exercise. And that's available at mindfulfire.org slash uncage. And so we can put that in the show notes so they can go and do this exercise for themselves. Powerful wisdom right there. I really just like all the ways that we can apply our mindfulness, obviously in the fire realm, that's where you're specializing so much, but then we've got to think about, okay, in our day jobs and how we want to show up at home, like this becomes a universal way that you're actually just showing up every single day. I love these, these mindsets and just bringing this to reality here. Adam, if we could, I'd love to pivot and do some rapid fire with you. Sound good? Sounds great. Let's do it. Let's do it. Adam, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh man, that is a, that's a big question. Best piece of advice I've ever received. There's two things coming to mind, but I'll go with one that when I started meditating, a friend of mine shared um, some Abraham Hicks meditations. And that's like from the law of attraction, a little bit more woo-woo, but that's what he gave me. And I started doing it, and there was this one meditation that ended with feel appreciation for what is and eagerness for what is coming. And that, I think, is really how I try to live, right? Appreciating what I have and what I've, the, the, how far I've come, the gain, so to speak, as counterintuitive, as counterintuitive as it is sometimes for me, appreciating all that is, and then having that vision for the future, right? Cause I'm very, I'm very futuristic and that skills finder thing like futuristic and vision are like my number one skill. And so it comes very naturally naturally to me. So feeling eagerness for that future and kind of starting to live into it has been very powerful for me. And then the other one, hilariously enough for how much I've talked on this podcast is less is more. Uh, when I was facil learning to facilitate this program, search inside yourself, the, the person teaching me and kind of who I was able to facilitate with as a partner many times over, this guy is like unbelievable. Like PhD neuroscientist, MD neurologist, 10 years at Stanford doing research and then came, went and got a master's in film to explore. He wants to understand the brain from every aspect. And he came to Google making marketing videos after all of what I just said. 
so that he could be a facilitator of this program, which was created at Google. And so he ended up leading the program and he taught me less is more, less is more. And I'm just applying that, trying to apply that in all areas of my life. This was meant for like, don't say more than you need to say. Hilariously enough, as I said, um, but it, now I'm thinking about in terms of just like projects and like work and money and possessions, right? Like it applies everywhere, right? Like it's not about more. It's actually often about less, doing less, right? I'm thinking back to that book that we talked about before, 10x is easier than 2x. You need to do less to move more into your zone of genius. So less is more is, is really top of mind for me right now. Remind yourself every day of that. Flip side, what's the worst piece of advice you've received? Invest in cryptocurrency. <laughs> like invest in cryptocurrency seems high. Buy buy uh buy Coinbase stock at the IPO. That was pretty bad. Um yeah, I, I you know, I guess I'd say kind of in this realm, it's like Invest in individual stocks, right? I remember when I was first learning about investing, like very young, like my dad, you know, was teaching me what he knew, right? Like, oh, you know, you look at these things for stocks and, um, you know, these companies and you can buy these individual stocks and, you know, they can go up. And that turned out to be not such great advice. You know, I mean, it can work, but I don't have the appetite uh, to do that. Um, and so right now I'm all about index funds, right? This is a book I love, The Simple Path to Wealth. I've probably recommended it 400 times on my podcast. And it's essentially just like figure out how much your life costs, save as much money as you can, invest in a very simple portfolio, stocks, bonds, uh, index funds of stocks and bonds and international stocks. That's it. And this is not financial advice. This is what I do for myself. But when you don't have to worry about picking the winners and the losers, the whole thing's a lot more smooth and less stressful. So, And you know that about yourself. There is no innate desire to become like a day trader, stock picker type person because you know it would drain you. Exactly. So you find the most intelligent way to outsource it while you are doing things that you're good at or interested by, energized by. Makes all yeah. the sense in the world. Adam, last one here. What advice would you give to yourself if you were starting your career right now? I would say meditate. Create some space in your day to get quiet, to train your attention through meditation, right? It will allow you to develop mindfulness. It will allow you to develop self-awareness. And I think that the more self-awareness that you have as a person, the more you, everything unlocks, everything unlocks for you, the more because you you know yourself deeply you know what's important to you you know what you will tolerate what you won't tolerate which is i know something that you talk about a lot but if you don't get to know yourself you're just going to be pulled in a million different directions by external events by your internal emotions and stories and everything changed for me when i started to meditate and it doesn't have to be complicated right it can be it doesn't have to be complicated or long. It can be two minutes of meditation, five minutes of meditation where you just sit, focus on your breath. When your mind wanders, which it will, 
bring your attention back to the breath over and over again, practicing a kind, curious awareness towards yourself and whatever's arising. And I have a ton of free guided meditations on the Mindful Fire podcast people can check out. But ultimately, I think that that is a is like a unlock that the self-awareness piece, right? Develop self-awareness. And the best way that I know that is mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. It's like where everyone else and everything else in the world is speeding up at insane rates. The best thing you can do is slow down at insane rates and use that supercomputer that's in your head. Tap into that intelligence that you have to do intentionally. It's not going to come when you are bouncing between meetings and answering a bunch of pings and dings on your phone, like you have to be so intentional to say no to almost all of that, to access that superpower you're describing through meditation mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. And it can start with five minutes. It really can. It's not, it's not like you have to do it for 20 minutes or an hour or whatever, or go on a retreat, right? It's five minutes. It's three minutes. And it's once you start to do that, it's, taking one mindful breath before you dial into a meeting or get up from your desk or walk from your car to the building, right? The more you do it, as they call on the cushion, so to speak, like in a formal practice with a guided or just, um, just sitting and focusing on your breath, the more you do it on the cushion, the more you're able to remember to tap into it out in the world. And these micro moments of practice really, really matter and improve how you show up for yourself and others in your life. Yeah. 100%. Couple last things for you, Adam. What does uncaged mean to you? It means free, right? Free to live life on your terms, to make the, be the person you want to be, to show up for yourself and your family and your friends and your everyone you interact with the way that you want to and to craft a life that you love. Beautiful. What a target. And Adam, where can people connect with you online? Yeah. So I think the best place, if, if you want to really get clear on the answer to what do I truly want and to start living your best life right now, I invite you to check out that free resource I put together for you at mindfulfire.org slash uncage. Beautiful. And we'll make sure to have it in the notes. Yeah. And, and you can, you know, there you'll be able to join my, my email list and you'll get uh, the new episodes as they come out. You can certainly check the, um, you know, subscribe wherever you're listening to this on the Mindful Fire podcast. And um, I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm not as proficient as you, uh, prolific as you are, but I, I aspire to share more there as well. But I'd love to hear from people. They can connect and DM me. And I'd love that. Definitely follow Adam. Huge resource. Thank you for all the time today. Appreciate your mission, man. It's such a beautiful compliment to what we're doing. Just glad to have a great relationship with you. Thank you. Me too, man. Thank you so much for having me. I, I look forward to getting to know you more over time. I think we're very aligned on on all that we're working on. So I, I look forward to it. Thanks for having we me. We got some lives to save, man. You bet. That's right. Hey, Matt here. Thanks for listening to Uncage Yourself. For show notes and more content like this, head over to uncageyourself.fm. And if you liked what you heard, I'd appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
Until next time, be well, my friend.